This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. How you doing, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Ready to Record from Blue Girl Studios. My name is Daniel, the D3 Cohen. I am your host, and I am speaking to you from Blue Girl Productions' worldwide headquarters and studios here in my garage. I'm a 19-year-old aspiring musician, engineer, and producer, and like many of you, I make music out of my own home studio. You know, some of today's biggest hit makers work from home studios, so maybe we can help one of you accomplish your big dreams. Now, today is a very special episode. It is the final part of a three-part series with Tony Shepard, so let's get right into it. Since you brought up drums, I am a drummer, and I am always curious about people's uh, choices of mics. And since you brought up the RCA 44 and all those beautiful vintage tube Neumanns, what what does a drum session look like for you, Mike Wise? Uh, it starts with the drums. I'm partial to DWs, um, just because they they have a big sound, but they have a to me a commercial sound, and it works it works sonically for what I like. Gotcha. Um, so I start with that um, for kick. I'll put three mics on. I'll put an AKG. D one twelve, and then I've got uh, a sub, you know, an S ten sub, and then I will put a C five hundred Sony, really, on the outside, mm-hmm. on the outside, and it's a very large diaphragm. It's amazing. It's just, it's just got a, a tone. So I've got three tracks for just the kick. Well, I, that that and, makes sense. I mean, I. I don't know about the C500. I usually think of people putting a 47, but that's that makes perfect sense to me. The C500 is really great because it's a large diaphragm, but it, 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 it's got a nice point on it. And then standard, you know, 57s top and bottom for a snare. Mm-hmm. Any pencil condenser for hi-hat, 421s, I'm good with that. 
overheads at like 414s. Makes sense. But for me, uh, the the fun stuff comes when I've got M49s on the rooms. Sure. And then I've got, uh, so those are left and right. And then I've got an old RCA 44 for a center channel that's probably about six feet in front of the kick. And it's about a foot off the ground. Because when he hits that kick, there's this, there's this thing that happens with that ribbon mic that just is breathtaking, and you can it, you can hit it as hard as you want. You can compress the bejesus out of it, and it brings all that tonality right up next to it. You know, I so you can be intimate by dropping all the overheads complete. I mean, all the room mics completely, or you can be like bombastic and have like M forty nines and the and the RCA forty four as room mics, and then you've got an LCR thing, and it also works. If you're doing, um, you know, film stuff, it just works really well. So that's my that's my usual drum setup. I know exactly where I'm going to sit in that room and where I want it to be, and I I know what that API is going to sound like, and it's just it's one of the old beige APIs, and just like I love this room. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I would love to go back in and do another project though. Um, with analog tape. That is something I have been missing for years now. Uh, doing a project on analog and just tracking old school and not having a bajillion tracks, but just tracking, you know, it's like the the drums are going to take up, you know, 12 tracks and that's it. And, you know, the vocals are going to take up X number. You know, just strip stuff down to what their bare essentials used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would love to go back and make another record that's all analog with some some of my favorite singers. It would just be awesome to do it. So you know that's that's what it's funny. You, you, I think you're one of the few people that I've talked to that actually genuinely misses the analog domain. You know, <laughs> that is true. You, you, hear, you hear people like Christina or or Pete or uh, uh, Al, who we keep referencing all the damn time yeah. today. You know, Al did an interview for Mix with the Masters years ago, and somebody asked him on, uh, you know, it was a it was a Q and A from from uh, viewers, and one of the viewers asked, "Do you miss analog tape?" And he went, "No, no, I really don't. I I like my I like my Pro Tools session with one ninety two K audio with the high sample rates." And then he paused and he smiled and he went. But then again, I just did a, a, a session all analog a month ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So so of course he doesn't miss it because somebody's going to be nostalgic and ask him to, yeah. to do a two-inch session. And he goes, do I have to? Yeah. But here's the thing about that. This is just like when, you, when we were talking about going into Pro Tools and mixing completely in the box or mixing in any, you know, not Pro Tools per se, but mixing in the box in a DAW and then jumping out and moving into the hybrid world. You keep yourself fresh. Right. It's like, okay, this one's going to be all digital. Now, I, I, I can't justify 192. I just can't. I've, I've it, never liked it personally. I just cannot justify what. I don't even like the sound of 96. It doesn't do anything for me. I like the sound of 2448. It's been a film standard in LA forever. That, that is film standard. You know what, frankly, because... Because I mean, I still record twenty four bit because I want the headroom. But mm-hmm. 
I still record at 44.1 because I know at the end of the day, if we're putting it on an MP3 or anything in the digital audio domain where it's being released, it will end up being 16.44.1 at some point. Yeah, and I can see that, and I have friends who do that, but my thing is there's something about the sound of 24.48 that works for me. Sure. 24.44 doesn't work for me, Uh, and I'm going through analog gear. So it's not just completely in the box at 2444. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I've played around with, and I, I've been talking to some friends. It's like, maybe we should make the jump to, you know, 2496. But when I do a 2496 session, it's just like, it, it just sonically doesn't work for me. It's like, it's almost too clean. It's, I, I don't know. It's kind of hard to describe, but, and then, but then Al loved, you know, 24192. Well, and you know, it was funny because I, I had this conver- similar conversation with Christina and, mm-hmm. and she did before she transitioned, actually. So mm-hmm. so Charlie did a uh, did this whole uh, video for I don't remember what company talking about mm-hmm. hi-fi audio where it was, you know, 192 mm-hmm. kilohertz. And she told me because I talked to I talked to her about when she did it and I, and she told me, honestly, I never use anything past 96. I, I barely even use 96. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, I mean, God bless him. Al was Al and he did it at 24 and 192, but I listened to 24, 92, 192. And from my standards, it's, it's, I mean, it's cool to be able to say you did it, but I've got projects that are like eight, ten gigabytes a song, right? <laughs> At twenty four forty eight, yeah, so am I. Or you know, and so you've got like you know you've got background vocals and you got forty tracks of backgrounds, and it's just like it 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 it's just not a practical thing to. But you know, these songs will be like thirty gigabytes a song at one ninety two, right? For you know, and then you got a whole album. You got to have like you know few terabytes just to play back and that becomes the bottleneck to me because you can't spin the data off fast enough and it starts choking and then it starts slowing down the session it's not creative anymore it's now you're waiting for stuff to play back right and that is just you know that's just just i don't know emotionally it's just you're sitting there waiting it's like sorry the computer is just spinning you're getting the spinning ball of death because it's like trying to spin up all the data and it doesn't make sense. If you're in capital and you everything's working off, of, you know, SSD drives, yeah, that might work. But when you go, not every studio is equipped to do that. Right. Right. And so you're going to like, you know, whatever studio and it's like, yeah, I want to go 182 at, you know, 24 bit. And I had one guy who was like doing 32 floating bit and I'm like, why are you doing that? He's like, because it sounds better. I'm like, who told you it sounds better? He goes, <laughs> and he was, you know, and this guy was doing like a hip hop track. And I'm like, dude, all your drums are programmed. The only thing you have is like maybe lead vocal and some backgrounds. Can you hear what you're talking? I mean, all your drum samples are 1644s. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you're like doing it. It's just like, it just, I don't know. I just... I just question the logic. It's just like, okay, somebody told you it sounded better and therefore you're just doing it. You haven't really given any thought as to whether or not this is really the truth or not. 
Look, if you want to, so, if you have, if you are doing an Al Schmidt size session where you have a big band and you're recording all condensers like Al did, and you want to have the headroom in the DAW and you want to run 32 yeah. bit float, knock yeah. yourself out. I don't deny that it will give you more headroom. Yes. But for any one of us, you know, mere mortals who yes. isn't Al Schmidt or Bruce Swedine or Rudy Van Gelder or any one of them, we don't really need it, let alone for entirely programmed tracks. Yes. And here's the other thing. Those guys are more likely to do something that's going to stand the test of time. And, you know, 30 years from now, they're going to want to bring up something at the highest fidelity they can. Right. It's not the same thing as doing a, I mean, no offense, it's not the same thing as doing a Cardi B record where it's just like, this is disposable. Yeah. You're not really, 20, 10 years from now, you're not going to look back and go, listen to the fidelity of that Cardi B record. You're not going to do that. No. I mean, yes, there are so many throwback 80s channels playing 80s music, but as if the 80s were a fucking genre. But, <laughs> I mean, I guess they were. Yeah. But... They were definitely, but a lot of that stuff was done on, you know, analog. Right. But it's, you know, it's still, you know, but it's not like today where it's like you got a DAW and somebody's in their, you know, bedroom. And they're, I mean, and God bless, you know, uh, Billie Eilish and her brother. I right. mean, I think this stuff works really well and it's great. But just because they did it doesn't mean that everybody can do it. Right. And they, and, you know, what, what people forget is that they had full PR people. They they mm-hmm. had a team. Yeah, they, they recorded yes. in their bedroom, but they did have a team. Yes. And uh, me bringing up the 80s is like, yeah, all that stuff is recorded at the highest fidelity that it possibly could. But that's because the studios that those people were going to, of course, they were using that. But at the same yeah. time, and I love – I've met the guys in this band, and I, I, I love them. But no, nobody's – you know, there there's really probably not a huge – uh uh, market for somebody who wants to come back 40 years later and remix a drama-rama record. <laughs> and they're yeah. really nice guys. Yeah. But that's probably not going to happen. I doubt even drama-rama wants to go back and remix the drama, the drama-rama album from 1983. You know? However, there's somebody who will pull up years from now, Chicago, um, what is it? Chicago 17. Mm-hmm. And want to do something with that record. Right. Because that's a different, you know what I mean? That's, and you listen to Foster stuff and it's like, okay, yeah, all the stuff that you worked on definitely should be archived. And I, I, I have said this a million times to people. Some of these things are going to be lost because the materials that created them, you know, there, there's no way to archive that stuff. Right. You know, you did on an SSL with, you know, X number of automation. And it's like, you can't reproduce that. You can't even find a console to play that back on. Sure. I mean, at least SSLs are pretty, in your town, they're pretty, pretty easy to find. Right. But But even so, like how many of them are actually going to play that floppy from 1987? That's what I'm saying. And you've got a floppy, you've got this eight inch floppy and you're going to pull it up and go, what the hell? What are we going to do with this? Right. I mean, so I do does, think that there's does the floppy actually know, work? You know, let yeah. alone will it run on on this console? Yeah, and that's why I think that there is a great deal of, of things that should be archived 
so that, and, and the manufacturers need to look down the road. I mean, I think they were so busy just creating these new technologies and it's going to do this and it's going to do this, that they forgot about like what happens 20 years from now when you bring that up and you can't play that. Right. Right. Like, oh shit. Didn't think about that. Right. Who, who, anybody here have a Betamax player? No, you know. <laughs> right. I mean, I just did some transfers of some stuff that I did from Algero in 1992. Um, when we were over at track record working and, um, we were on a 3348 and I, I recorded all this audio, Tevin Campbell it was a project called handles from Saya soul for celebration. And, um, you know, we had, I can't even tell you all the number of people we had. We had tons of people on this project and to see who Al Jarreau passed away now, it's been a couple of years yeah. now. Yeah. But to see Al in the studio working, it's just like, it's just, it's amazing. And I had forgotten about, you know, because we mixed the stuff. We had three 48-track machines mixing on the, like, the handles on, on the holiday chorus. Mm -hmm. And that was huge back then. Because, you know, we're on this 96-input console. And it's, you know, we've got 96 faders on, on the flying faders here. And then we've got these static faders at 96 on top. And it's like, and I think to myself, those mixes are those mixes. They can never be archived because no one is going to go back and play. I mean, they were played back off of 3348 tapes onto a console that I don't even know if they've got, you know, any of the automation left. That stuff is, is there's no way to recall those mixes ever. Right. And, I mean, you think about the 90s, how how many people, nobody's going to, I mean, people have DA88s and ADATs, but how long is it going to be until the sinks on multiple ADATs break down? You know, th sure. Those were all banks of eight. You're So you have, what, six, eight uh, ADAT tapes to go into six, eight different ADAT machines? Are you going to yeah. be able to sync them anymore? I mean, Simpty is yeah. still Simpty, but how long is it going to, how long are those machines going to be able to read that code? Because they were barely hanging on at the time. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, you could light pipe it into this. And light, it's like, you know, and I, I mean, I've gone through now and I've been archiving some of these things. I was talking to Bill um, Smith about this. It's just like, there's a need to archive a lot of these things. I have radar tapes from the 90s. And this stuff, you know, I need to bring up the stuff in archive and put it into a format and, you know, put it in like Pro Tools and bring it across because somebody will eventually ask me for this stuff. Right. And I, I do have clients now who are like, remember that song we did in 20, in 2001? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah. It's like, do you still have access to that? And I'm like, um, yeah, that was, we did that on like ADAT tapes. Right. So the ADAT tapes are around, but I, I, dude, who's got an ADAT tape, you know, who's got a machine that we can archive that stuff. Right. So, you know, I mean, I, and I heard George Massenberg talk about this, you know, archiving, you know, we're, we're going to start losing some of our history of like, yeah, they'll always exist as like a stereo mix, but I don't know. Some of the stuff really needs to be archived. So well, that's that's I guess kind of the great thing about the the tape stuff is that the tapes, yeah, the tapes will degrade, but at least it's still analog audio. You can it so long as the tapes are fine, or you go to a restorationist and a conservationist, like there are a million of them out there now. Mm -hmm. You can have those tapes restored and then digitized, 
with the with mm-hmm. with the stuff that was early digital not going to be so easy yeah yeah those are those may be lost to the ages it, so yeah unfortunate but uh, i guess a uh, <laughs> well i don't know what records uh, we're talking about some of them are going to be unfortunate some might might some not so but i mean you think about it. i mean i i listen to i mean there's some stuff from the 80s that i still listen to uh uh, I'm a big fan of a group called Level 42, mm. and I love their records. And their records, uh, I think Wally Bottero produced their stuff, and he had a Synclavier and analog tape machines. And you know, he would program everything on the Synclavier and then dump stuff to, over to analog. And th- there was a certain sound that worked. Peter Wolf is the same way. Uh, he had, you know, um, he was producing Go West, and he would program stuff in the Sinclair and then dump it across the analog. And it was that, that hybrid between the digital stuff of, of the Sinclair, but that fatness of the analog of, you know, especially back in the day, it was like, you know, uh, the MTR nineties or, you know, the MCI JH 24s. And they just, there's just a certain sound that worked. Right. But where, you know, where do those things exist other than the two mixes? Where does that stuff exist? Who knows? Because you know, Sinclair is like you know, you can't you can't find a Sinclair to play that stuff back on, man. So right, and they had optical platters, and you know, it's like you can't you couldn't you couldn't give that stuff away today. So I don't know. It's 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 an interesting conversation that I think Neris actually needs to pick up and to have a conversation about archiving with these manufacturers and i think they need to have an across the board kind of consensus with uh daw manufacturers about you know do your future self a favor and let's let's figure out some way to archive these things well and not only naris but probably aes and nab should be in that conversation too sure yeah i mean you can go but you have a better chance of pulling back a a videotape from the 60s And restoring it, then you do pulling back an audio tape from the eighties. Yeah. Or or just because you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean you can you can pull up an Elvis master from nineteen fifty nine, but you can't always get the DAT tapes for I don't know, I I wanna say Nirvana, but I know they were still uh, recording on student machines. But insert name of nineties band or eighties band here. Sure. Uh it's going to be damn near impossible. Yeah. And I don't think people think about that while they're working now. Archiving. If you, you know, if you're working on some of us work, you know, not everybody's worth archiving. And I agree with that, but sometimes you're working on a project and it's like, dude, this is going to be an important album and documenting it. And, you know, all of those kinds of things, it's really going to be important years from now. And some of the artists that I, I I love and adore, I wish they had done a better job of documenting those things so that we could pull them up. I, I, I worked on a project with for Target like 10 years ago. And they had Bing Crosby, Dean Martin, uh, Ella Fitzgerald. They had uh, Nat King Cole. They had like a variety of different old, old, old school albums. Mm-hmm. And they just dropped the lead vocal because they were three track masters. They just dropped 
you know, the left and the right, and just the lead vocal was in the middle track. And, um, and we were able to go back in and add brand new orchestration to all of those songs. Right. You couldn't do that today. Mm-mm. From the 80s stuff, you'd be sitting there going like, sorry, those, th- that was recorded on a 3324S. It's like, sorry, you can't do it. Or it's recorded on, you know, the Roland, whatever, whatever. They got into the market machine. You know, we're going to sell this little hard disk recorder. It's like, where do you archive that stuff? So I don't know. We'll see what happens. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm putting too much emphasis on where where the future is going to pull these things from, but we'll Well, see. Well, you know, just on that topic, I know I haven't worked on anything particularly uh, mountain moving yet, but there's time. So we'll see. There will always be time. Uh, But even for me, and, and I've, in the past couple of months, I've had projects go missing, like, I've lost mm-hmm. projects off of my storage and I, I don't mm-hmm. understand where they are. I have a backup of some of this stuff, but you know, it's not completely there. So right now there's an old X serve sitting next to me uh, in my, in my keyboard land uh, in between my Hammond and my roads. And I, I have two more of them uh, in storage. And in the next couple of weeks that the, the servers are being built out and we're going to be, you know, running full backups and not only that, but you know, stuff's going to be pulled off of the Mac pro and the iMac and everything else that we edit off of. And it'll be centralized on the servers and, you know, one will be the main one and then we'll have one as a backup and one is deep storage. So we can sleep better at night. (laughs) My philosophy is if it doesn't exist in three separate places on three different mediums, then it does not exist. So that's a fair way to put it. I I know you need to be on a hard drive. You need to be in a cloud and a tape if you can. I wish I could put everything on tapes. You know, you could you on or on some digital backup tape. It could be an exabyte. It needs to it needs to exist in some form or fashion in case one of the others fails. I think George Massenberg was telling this story at AES one time where he said that he had all of his stuff on hard drives, but they had bought all the hard drives from the same place at the same time. And there was this kink in the the hard drive. And as it turned out, they all went down with the same kind of damage, you know, flaw. Mm -hmm. And they were, they lost material because it's like all the hard drives, you know, we bought like a stack of these hard drives and everybody recorded to them. But then they, when they went down, they all went down. So his thing was like, buy Western Digital, buy this, but, you know, spread out your hard drives and buy them from different manufacturers with different things so that in case something goes down with one, it's like, well, all of our hard drives came from that same manufacturer. Right. Have have some Seagate yeah. hard drives. Have some WD hard sure. drives. Have make make sure that all of you sure uh, your SSDs can be from both Intel and SanDisk and anyone else. That's you right. You gotta play the long game. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's a it's a big deal. <laughs> yep. So we'll see. You know, our industry is still floundering in a lot of ways and it's it's got to find itself it's got to find its heart and soul again it's not easy to do that and um 
you know, I know a lot of engineers who have just left the game. Sure. Um, because it's like, there's no way to, you know, there was a time when you were making your day rate all the time in the nineties. And then, you know, it's, you know, and then guys like they come along to, and fuck it all up. No, it's not even that. It's just like, you know, there's still, for a lot of us, there's still reasons to like get a real engineer who's like been doing this for 20 or 30 years. And I, I'm blessed that I have clients who still like, you know, we need you to do this. Right. Um, and I think it, it's just that there's not as many places to monetize what you've done. And that's our biggest problem right now. You know, if, if you were making money, if the labels were making money, we'd be hiring everybody back. Mm -hmm. They've got to figure out a way to monetize what we're doing in better ways so that more people go back to work. Right. Right. So I'm on a goal. I'm on a mission to try and make that happen for a lot of people. It's like there's got to be a way for us to archive ourselves. Yes. And that's our future selves. But our current selves need to work. Right. So our current selves need to be like, let's do this. So we are, you know, let's, you know, let's get our rates back up. Let's do, you know, it's like, yeah, we're working for 20 days this month, that kind of stuff. That's what we need to be. So mm -hmm. we'll see. Well, on the topic of labels, mm -hmm. how's yours? My label is trying to find itself again. Uh, we've got a lot of acts and we've got a lot of acts that are doing well. But it's the weird thing of nobody's out on tour doing anything and you're not making any money from streams. Right. Um, I was using this example the other day. Somebody interviewed me. Um, mixed magazine. It's one of the magazines. And I said, you know, if you had a million selling album in the 90s, you would gross between 10 and 18 million dollars from that record. If you have a million streams on YouTube, you made 750 bucks. Right. right. So there's no money. You know, it's like I used to tease a uh, kid to my the other day. It's like, you know, when the mob leaves something alone, it's like there's no money left in it. It's like, yeah, there's no money in it. You can't make any money in it. There was money in 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 rack jobbers and certain things. It's like, okay, there's money in this. But when you have people who are leaving, it's like there's no money left in it. Mm -hmm. Um, because you can't make I mean, you know, you just can't make money from streams and there's no uniformity in streams. So we're still cranking out product and we do better with placement. Um, it's like, well, we need someone for this scene on this TV show. It's like, we can do that. That's great. Or this movie or something like that. But streams from, there's there's got to be more uniformity in, you know, if it's, I don't care if it's YouTube or Spotify or Pandora, well, it's all going to pay the same. Title. All of them. I don't care. It all needs to pay the same. And at the very least, make 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 it a penny a stream. Don't make it, you know, cent cents on cents. Tenths of a cent. Yeah, I mean, I I think you know, and we haven't really pushed the music, but we have a couple hundred streams on on some of the stuff my band does. Mm -hmm. We. You know, one of my one of my bandmates asked me, "Hey, are, how how's how's the money looking? Are, are, are you going to share any?" I'm like, "What am I going to share? Seven tenths of a cent? <laughs> sure, yeah. sure. You get a hundredth of a penny. You get a hundredth of a penny. You yeah. get a hundredth of a penny. 
Yeah. And there's this is this is where the record industry went off the rails because they didn't know how to adapt and the streaming services for movies and TV have like excelled at it. They have managed to make money from streaming whereas Spotify and you know you have there there's certain unions that are have been able to say hey, listen this artist is going to get paid no matter what. You you don't have an engineers union. Right. And there should be. There's, there should be a, there, should, there should, be. should be a few of them. I mean there should be you know, you, you have IATSE, but unless you're working on film, IATSE is not going to do any good. Well, film or, or live music. I mean, if you, you know, we, sure. like my, my father, he worked in the, in the San Jose union for a while, local 134 up here in San Francisco, mm-hmm. the theater union, it's local 16. If you're doing theater or if you got Greta Van Fleet going to the San Francisco civic center, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to have the local guys, but that's that's all for IATSE. And and sure, there's AFM Local 10 up here as far as the musicians union goes. But who's who's the union for the engineers? Who's the producers union? Who's the engineers and producers union? Because a lot of us are yeah. doing both jobs nowadays. Yeah. Uh, where Where's our safety? Where's our cut? Right. And, and especially when you have engineers who are taking people of questionable talent and creating masterpieces out of them because we're spending hundreds of hours tuning vocals and moving stuff and nudging this and moving the drums around and swapping out the sounds. And, and it's like, it's like, man, you made my stuff sound amazing. It's like, yeah, but it's not really but your stuff anymore. It's ours. It's not, it's, it's like some, it's, it's something I created and it's just like it, this, there's just, there's, there's problems afoot. And they've got to figure this out. And it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And, and like I said, there's got to be uniformity in who gets paid. Yeah. Spotify is just, you know, I, I think YouTube is probably the worst. I'd agree with that. They, they you know, it's what, what you're getting paid for a YouTube stream is just horrific. And they don't care. Well, they're Google. They, they have whatever. Yeah. The they're making money. Yeah. We're making money. They're making why money do, from your why do we care? Yeah. Yeah. And so there's, they have enough clout to be able to say, well, you know, you know, and I, and I mean, for years people have said, you know, streaming is a future. It's like there will be no future in streaming unless people figure out a ways to get paid from it. People will just say it's, it's like you know, you'll have old product, but you're not. It's like you have a lot of artists who's like, it's just not worth me doing a record. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not really sure what's going to happen. And, I, and I'm not sure who's going to be able to step up and make it happen. I was hoping for a long time that Naris would have the clout to be able to go to, uh, you know, to Capitol Hill and say, listen, here's what we need. We've got to have this and we've got to have this and we've got to have this. Well, I mean, And there's got to be uniformity in streaming. The one thing that Trump did, and I do not like Trump, but the one good thing in my eyes that Trump did was sign the Music Modernization Act. Right, but I agree. even so, the MMA didn't do enough. Yes, it did not go far enough. So, so, and and now we are stuck with like more people who are getting into the streaming business, and they're making money off of our product, but we're not making any money from our products. Right, and you know what? I, just on the back on on YouTube, mm-hmm. I I keep seeing guys showing, it's like posting YouTube videos. Here's how to make money with streaming. Make make music. 
You can make it generic. You don't even have to like it, but I think my product is pretty good. Put it here. Do X amount of advertising, get a couple hundred thousand streams, but don't just have one song with a million streams because that's not going to make you money. <laughs> you know, keep releasing. Have a couple hundred thousand streams. Don't go to labels. Engineer it yourself. Blah, 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 blah. And you're like, well, what's the point? You know, if it's a free for all, yeah. then what what are we doing? And there's a whole group of people who feel like that is the future. It's like, you know what? It might be the future, but I don't know if there's any money in that future. It, there won't be. if it continues. There's just no money. There's no money left on the table because these streaming companies are not, you know, it's like you. it's an all-you-can-eat buffet. Well, eventually, somebody's got to pay that bill. Yeah. Yeah. You can't keep doing this all you can eat buffet. And it started with like, okay, you can get, it started with Apple going, you can get a song for a download for a dollar. It's like, okay, well now you can get a whole album for $10. And then they were like, well, you don't even need to download it. Now you can just stream it. We're going to give it to you for $10 all you can eat. And it's like, okay, how are we getting paid? Right. What? Wait, how? What? And that was the moment we lost the battle. But the war is still waging. <laughs> it's just sad, but this is where we're at. This is the kind of problems we are facing. And we, we've we got to figure this out. And I don't know if Narrows can figure it out. You know, I, I, I hope that they can. But it has to be somebody who puts their foot down. Well. And says, no, we're going to do it a different way. Well, I mean, if, if uh, what was it? Twisted Sister, right? Took on, mm-hmm. took on, uh, Capitol Hill, and 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 said, you know, that rock and roll had a place. Maybe, maybe right. I don't think it needs to just be the bands, but it needs, it kind of needs to be everyone in the industry. It needs to be the it, everyone from the musicians to the engineers to the labels, and I I get yeah. that the labels are sort of dying, or that the smaller labels are, you know, a little bit better than the bigger labels, and all this stuff but it's like you know it, i i don't i don't really care what people are saying about the labels because the la- whatever labels come around are going to stay around if they're if they're mm-hmm. smart i'm sure you know i'm sure breath of life your your own record label is going to be around for a while you know republic certainly not going anywhere emi isn't going anywhere yeah most of the labels are not going anywhere no. They've just got to figure out a way to work smarter, though. And it would be helped if you had good legislation to back you. Exactly. And that is my problem. There's no uniformity. And so everybody is running around trying to, you know, you know, to to basically herd cats. And it's just like, this is not working, guys. Well, the thing that annoys me is that people so very much cheapen what it means to have a piece of art or a piece of music. Yeah. And music has become devalued and, and everything else has kind of become devalued. Even, even, even yeah. like small film, like, yes, we still have the Tribeca film festival and all that stuff. And there, there is still money to be made in film. But like, when you look at the small guys, there's really nothing in there for the small guys anymore. It's, it's like the big names, right? you know, same deal yeah. with music production. Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. all the big names with the big Grammys and all that shit. Yeah. And so you think about it and you go, well, what's what's in it? For, at the point where they're devaluing it, and especially with the technology guys, they go, well, why we devalue this, but but the 
but here's all this big technology. Well, you know who they make the Mac Pro for? They're cer- they're certainly not making it just for programmers to make apps because most right. of those guys are on uh, you know, laptops. Mm-hmm. No, they they make those pro machines for us. Right. That that's for our workflow. That there's no right. they they don't give benchmarks for Logic Pro, uh Final Cut, uh Medium Composer and the the entire uh Adobe Creative Suite for nothing. Right. Who who do you think you they're making that for? Who who do you think those those benchmarks are for? Uh, uh you, Mister, I'm gonna watch 18 hours of YouTube every day. <laughs> no, they make that for us. Yeah, yeah. I just don't know what it will take to make it happen. I, I, I'm, you know, it's it's baffling. You see the problem, but what is the solution, and how can everybody adapt and bond to the new solution? And that's the key. In my time doing this show, I have spoken to many people. Producers, engineers, musicians, equipment designers, you name it. Tony, well, he's a jack of all of these trades, and really knows them all better than the back of his hand. Because of this, talking to Tony has been an incredibly eye-opening experience. Sir, thank you for being on the show and giving us so much of your time. I think there are a lot of lessons to take away from this conversation for me, and I think a lot of other people can get some interesting insights and a lot of really good information from your wisdom as well. If you want to go find Tony and all of his work, check out TonySound.com. You can link to his discography as well as his summing mixer, the A-Designs Mix Factory, and everything else he's doing. Welcome to Gear Talk. Today I want to talk about referencing, which was something that Tony and I had been talking about earlier in our conversation. Now, Today, I want to pose a question for when it comes to referencing, and that is, should you or should you not reference on headphones and earbuds like Apple's AirPods or AirPods Pro? As I sit here right now, I am holding a pair of AirPods Pro in their case, and I've been using them for the last couple of weeks with fairly little issue. And for what they are, they're pretty good. Of course, I wouldn't trust these as main reference monitors. I wouldn't even trust them as a secondary or tertiary. But as a way to test mixes out, I think they're pretty decent. Now, you're probably looking at whatever you're thinking and going, Daniel, why the hell are you saying that AirPods are a good way to reference mixes? Well, there's a simple answer to that, and that's, Most people don't listen on headphones or full-size speakers anymore. Most people are listening on wireless earbuds or, if you're old school enough, quote-unquote, wired earbuds. And 
headphones and speakers are really kind of a thing of the past for most people. Put it this way, if even I, an audio engineer and music producer, am listening to music that I've recorded on AirPods, that means a lot of you are as well. Or at least hypothetically speaking. And of course you are. The way that these work with Apple's iDevices and everything else is seamless. And the beauty of it is you can share audio between two sets of AirPods or compatible Beats headphones, meaning that you can have independently volume-controlled headphone mixes, quote-unquote, to share music that you're doing with your friends or with mentors who have similar devices. And that's awesome. Now, if I had my way, I would make a far more professional headphone that could do the same thing. But in the meantime, how many of us actually have access to two, three, four sets of speakers? Genuinely. Most of us, myself included, are referencing on over-ear headphones anyway. So adding the ability to reference on earbuds, wireless, and portable is really helpful. Especially since most people that are going to be listening to music that I release on things like these. Now, I want to know what you think. What do you think of AirPods, AirPods Pro, AirPods Max, Beats devices, Beats headphones, earbuds, things like that? Should we be buying them? Should we be referencing on them? Let me know. Send me an email, r2r.bluegirl at gmail.com. I want to hear your opinion. This is music from Blue Girl and not a very long one either. This is something I have never actually tried before but long have wanted to. This is my first attempt at making a TikTok. I have not completed the video for it. It's just going to be a duet of a duet of a duet of a duet. But I have completed almost all of the audio for it, and I'm pretty happy with it, so I wanted to share it with you. This is a TikTok trend that I hopped on and made a beat for because I was excited, and I'm excited to share it with you. Let me know what you think. Enjoy. I can be brown, I can be blue, I can be violet sky, I can be hurtful, this is called I can be purple, I can be anything Oh my, I could be camouflage, I could be lubberage, whatever you need I'll fit in like a collage, I could be your applause, I could be wrapping my hand around yours like a corsage I could be committed to be your love interest when you're cold, I could be cocoa with cinnamon I could be intimate, distant, whatever you're feeling, I'll be an empty canvas for you to fill in And I could be more than a home if you need it, and I can go beyond whenever we're beefing I could be the place you can find it the world of your Jonah be the place you hide in No, we could be anything that we imagine Be dizzy, happy, just like Jasmine Aladdin No, we could be passionate, you try to frame it No, we could be anything you like that's the show, everyone. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed talking to all you. Special major big thank you to Mr. Tony Shepard for being on the show. Man, it was so great having you on, and it was so fantastically beautiful to share your insights and wisdom with everybody listening, myself included. Speaking of everybody listening, for all of you out there in the ether, tune in next time. We're going to have Mr. Warren Sokol on the show. He's a mastering engineer and a really cool one. We're going to talk about his work from Paul McCartney to the modern hip-hop stuff he does and everything in between. 
and I think you're really gonna dig this one. Tune in next time. There will be more gear to geek out on and more music to share with all of you. But for now, this is Daniel the D3 Cohen, a very tired one at that, signing off from Blue Girl Productions Worldwide Headquarters and Studios right here in San Francisco, California. We're ready to record. <laughs>